Are you happy to be in God's house? I'm very happy to have my wifey home. Amen. And our whole team from uh, Thailand, Myanmar, Myanmar, Myanmar. Um, and then Robbie will be returning in a couple of days. My daughter and my wife have had a wonderful reunion. And uh, my daughter is extremely happy to have her mommy home. But, you know, Alethea has been running around. Every time you ask, where's your mommy? She says, in Thailand. What is she doing there? Preach the gospel. She preached the gospel. <laughs> you know, well, one day while my wife was gone, my daughter went and sat at her desk. She said, Daddy, I want to preach the gospel. I said, okay, go ahead. And she goes, hi, everybody. <laughs> she's getting ready to address the house. And so uh, she's learning at a young age that the gospel needs to be taken to the ends of the earth. And um, very, very thankful for that. Um, I have a word for you from the Lord. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You shall receive power. Look at your neighbor and say, you shall receive power. You shall receive power. Jesus says in Matthew 28, 19, all power in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Jesus says, I have all power. But now he says to his disciples, you shall receive power in Acts 1.8. You shall receive power. You have been in the season and into the stage in which you have been acknowledging the power of the Lord. But now he's taking you to the season in which he's acknowledging your power. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses. In Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist is testifying... And he says, I baptize you with water for repentance in Matthew 3.11. He says, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. Look at your neighbor say, fire. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Today, the title of my message is... Write this down at the back. Power to the people. Power to the people. The word of the Lord to you today is that it is time for the people to rise up in power. It is time for the people to rise up in power. Now this phrase, power to the people, it was the slogan of the civil rights movement. Power to the people. It was about raging against the machine. It was about sticking it to the man. Power to the people. John Lennon immortalized the slogan in a song that he called Power to the People. And Power to the People was about the people rising up and taking control over government, taking control over society. It was about the people not simply sitting back and letting politics and government do whatever it chose to do. But the real power of democracy is the power of the people. And I want you to know that even though the kingdom of God is not a democracy, it is a theocracy. But that does not mean that it is a totalitarian dictatorship. And that's what we often make the church. It's a totalitarian dictatorship where one man has all the power. But that has never been God's design or his desire. Power to the people. Jesus says, you're going to receive power. You're going to receive power. And I say to you today by the word of the Lord that you're about to receive power. 
you're about to receive power. The question is, how can you rise up in the Holy Ghost power that God has destined you to walk in? How can you take your place of authority and your place of power in the earth that God has destined you for? Today we're going to talk about how to do that. Now, in the Exodus event, God speaks to Moses from a burning bush, sends him to Pharaoh to say, let my people go, works great signs and wonders through Moses, all ten of the plagues, parts the Red Sea, brings Israel through on dry ground, the waters of the Red Sea crash in around the Egyptians, and the people of Israel have a Holy Ghost party on the other side of the sea. Because what was once pursuing them is no more. But then Moses takes the people on a 47-day journey until they arrive at Mount Sinai, also called Mount Horeb. And this experience that they were getting ready to have at Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb was very important to God. Finally, God was going to have His desire. Finally, God's plan was about to come into being. You see, till now, God spoke to Moses and Moses spoke to the people. God spoke to Moses and said, tell the people that I said this. And then Moses went to the people to relay the word of the Lord. But what God had planned for the Mount Sinai event was that he would step right over Moses and speak to his own people. What God had planned for Mount Sinai was is that Moses would no longer be a mediator between the people and God. God wanted to show his people way back then that they could have a personal relationship with him. Way back then, he wanted to show them. And if you look at, if you read Exodus 19 and Exodus 20, you see that in Exodus 19, they arrive at Mount Horeb after a 47-day journey, and and God says to Moses, prepare the people. Tell the people to get ready. Spend three days sanctifying the people. Tell the people, sanctify yourselves for three days. Wash your garments. Watch your attitudes. Watch your words. Get yourself ready. Take some baths. Put on white garments. Put away. I'm, he says, sanctify yourself. And tell the people to get ready for the third day. Because on the third day, I'm going to come down on that mountain in power. Tell them to be ready for the third day. Tell them to be ready. I'm getting ready to come on that mountain in power. And I'm going to speak to everybody. I'm talking to everybody. God said, I'm going to speak to everybody. There's no longer going to be a distinction between the spiritual and the unspiritual because I'm going to talk to everybody. There's no longer going to be a a, a need for a man to teach his neighbor saying, know the Lord, because they're going to all know me from the least of them to the greatest. This was God's desire from the beginning. And so sure enough, they sanctify themselves for three days. And on the third day, God comes and sits on the mountain. And when God comes and sits on the mountain, the whole mountain catches fire. I mean, this was a blaze. It said the whole mountain was enveloped in billows of smoke. The whole mountain, I mean, Moses left the burning bush and came back to the burning mountain. Every firefighter in the world could have come together, but they couldn't have put out that fire. Are you with me this morning? The whole mountain was ablaze with the fire of God. And when you get to Exodus 20, that famous passage where God gives the Ten Commandments. I am Yahweh Eloheinu who brought you out of Egypt on eagles' wings. I am the Lord your God. And you shall have no other God before me. You shall not bow down to them. You shall not worship them. For I, the Lord your God, 
whose name is holy, and I am a jealous God. Whose name is jealous, I am a jealous God. And he gives the Ten Commandments, but the thing that you need to understand is that when you're reading Exodus 20, you're not reading what was carved in stone. That hadn't happened yet. You're reading what God spoke audibly to the entire assembly. Go home and read it. When When Exodus 20 happens... God is speaking in an audible voice to 1.5 million descendants of Abraham. And when God gets done speaking to them, looking there at Exodus chapter 20, verse 18, now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. Not smoking a cigarette, but the mountain is smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled, And stood afar off. They heard God speaking out of the burning mountain. And they started to back up. They started to run from the presence of the Lord. They started to run from the word of the Lord. They started to run from the fire of God. And look what they say to Moses. Verse 19. Then they said to Moses. You speak to us and we will hear. But let God not speak to us lest we die. This was the people's idea. Not God's. It was the people's idea to pay a person to stand in the pulpit and say, this is the word of the Lord. It was the people's idea to set a man up before them and say, you hear from God and tell us what he says. That way we don't have to hear from him ourselves because if he speaks to us himself, we're going to die. Now look at Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 5. Well, beginning with Deuteronomy chapter 5. Watch this. We're going somewhere this morning. Deuteronomy 5. Moses summoned all Israel. Now, first thing you need to know is the book of Deuteronomy is Moses' last series of sermons before he goes home. He knows that his journey is coming to an end. He knows that God is raising up Joshua to lead Israel into the promised land. He knows that his ministry is almost over. He's got one last series of sermons to preach, and it's called the book of Deuteronomy. And so in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses over and over again says, remember, remember, remember. He's reminding them. It's been 40 years now in the desert. He's reminding them, remember, remember, remember when the Lord brought you out of Egypt? Remember, remember what you did there? Remember how you messed that up? Don't do that again. He's, and then he's saying, and be careful. Remember and be careful. When you go into the promised land, be careful not to make the same mistakes you made in the wilderness. When you go into the promised land, be careful to obey the laws and statutes of the Lord. And he says, hear, hear, O Israel, shama Israel. He says it again and again and again. Hear, O Israel. He says, I want to make sure you're paying attention because this is absolutely foundational and essential stuff before you go into the promised land. He says here in chapter five, verse one. Hear, O Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. Verse 2. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. Whenever you see the name Horeb, Mount Horeb and Mount Sinai are the same mountain. He says, the Lord made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our fathers that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. Listen listen to verse verse 4. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. God spoke to you face to face. You remember that? You remember that, Israel? The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. He's speaking to a crowd of people that was there. They remember it. They were there. Watch this. Verse 5. At that time, 
I stood between the Lord in, and you to declare to you the word of the Lord. At that time, I stood between the Lord and you to declare to you the word of the Lord because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up the mountain. Moses said, I had to stand between you and the Lord. I had to be a mediator when God didn't need a mediator. God didn't want a mediator. God never intended for me to be a mediator. My job was to lead you into such a deep and powerful relationship with God that you didn't even need me anymore because you could hear from him yourself. Yes, I had a task and I had a leadership and I, I had a responsibility and a stewardship, but my stewardship was to bring you to the same place I stood at, to take you up the mountain with me, to take you to the place where God spoke to you face to face the same way he spoke to me face to face, but you wouldn't have it you were afraid of the fire and wouldn't go up the mountain so i had to stand between you and the lord to declare to you the word of the lord god will always need a man to stand between him and his people as long as his people are afraid of the fire as long as the people of god are afraid of the fire and afraid of the mountain afraid of going up afraid of meeting god face to face afraid of having a real relationship with god god will always need a man to stand on a platform to declare the word of the Lord. That wasn't his intention. He always intended to make a new covenant with the house of Israel that went beyond this, that circumvented this. Look at Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, verse 31 and following. Look at this. Jeremiah 31. God speaks through the prophet Jeremiah. And he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. God's intention was not to write it in stone, but to write it on the hearts and minds of the people. Stone was plan B because the people wouldn't hear him. Stone tablets was plan B. God said, tell all the people I want to speak to all of them. And they said, no, Moses, you go talk to God and come back and tell us what he said. And Moses came down the mountain with stone tablets. But God said, I'm going to step over their rejection of my word. There's a day coming when I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel. And in that day, I'm not writing the law on any stone tablets. I'm writing it in their hearts and in their minds will I write them. And this is what he says. I will be their God and they will be my people. Verse 34. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. God says the day is coming when no man will need to teach because they'll all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them. And that day, no longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord. It's not going to happen. It's not going to be necessary. Why? Because everybody's going to know me. I, God says, I'm going to have my desire. I'm going to have my intention. I'm going to have a people that hear my voice, that every one of them hear my voice, that I can speak to them face to face the way a man speaks with a friend. I'm going to take them beyond the need for a human mediator. Make no mistake, God gives apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to the body of Christ, but not to be a mediator between you and God. 
There is one God and one mediator between man and God, and His name is Jesus. Your pastor is not your mediator. He's not your go-between. The blood of Jesus Christ is the only go-between. Are you hearing me today? He said, I will have a people. Moses said, you were afraid of the fire and wouldn't go up the mountain. Jeremiah said, but the day is coming when God's going to overstep your fear of fire. And he's going to take you up the mountain. And how's he going to do it? He's going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel that's not like the one he made with your fathers. In the upper room, Jesus gathered the twelve and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. This is that. This is the new covenant that Jeremiah promised that I would make. This is the new covenant I spoke through Jeremiah and I promised it. And it is through the blood of Jesus that we enter into that new covenant. Through the blood of Jesus, every believer in Jesus Christ, every son and daughter of God, everyone who comes to faith in Jesus Christ, you can now hear from God face to face. You can now go up the mountain of God. You can now stand in the place Moses stood in. You now have access. You say, well, there's a veil over my heart. No, the veil was rent from top to the bottom the moment Jesus said it is finished there's nothing between you and God but Jesus Christ he is the only mediator and who is Jesus he is the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form he is the firstborn from among the dead it would please the father that in him all of his fullness should dwell he is the very revelation of God himself let me tell you something the only thing between you and God is God's revelation in his son Jesus Christ and that means that the only thing between you and God is God God said, I'm going to be the mediator between you and me. I'm going to stand between you and myself so that the only thing that's between you and me is my own revelation of myself. Are you hearing me? I want you to get this in your head that you can go into your prayer closet and hear from God yourself. I want you to get it in your head that you can open, when you open up the word of God, God wants to speak to you. You cannot see your pastor or your leaders in the house of God as a mediator of revelation or as a fount of revelation. God is the fount of revelation. All of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. Are you hearing me today? question is why are we so afraid of the fire why are we so afraid of the fire well it's, it's it actually makes sense i mean have you seen what fire does fire is hungry you ever seen fire eat half a log and then go i'm full now i'll save the rest of this for later no fire will eat that whole log you give it another one it'll eat that you give it 10 more, it'll eat all 10 of them. Fire, it gets more hungry the more you feed it. Wow. Wow. It eats and it will eat indefinitely. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Perpetually, forever. If you let it, it'll eat up a whole neighborhood. It'll eat up a whole forest. You got to fight it. You got to take wood out of its mouth. You give it wood, it eats it. And that's what the fire of God is like. If God comes into your life, he, he consumes everything. Amen. He burns up everything. And that's why we're afraid of the fire because we're afraid God's going to burn up something we want to keep. Wow. He just might consume something that I th- found valuable. Something that I wanted to hold on to. If I let fire loose, it burns indiscriminately. 
And it takes stuff that I didn't want. You know, when you've lost your home to a fire, it's a devastating thing. Because you remember back to the things that you lost, the things of value to you, the things that you wish you still had. And it's a terrifying feeling to feel like you've lost everything in a fire. That's what it means to come to Jesus Christ. You've got to be willing to lose everything in the fire. You've got to be willing to let him set your house on fire and burn up everything. You can't be afraid of loss. The people were afraid of loss. They said, Moses, you talk to God and tell us what he says, but don't let him talk to us or else we're going to die. If God speak to us, we're going to die. If I really hear his voice, his voice is going to take something from me. People are afraid to hear from God because we think every time he speaks, something's going to be taken from me. Something's going to be taken from me. I was thinking about Isaiah 6. I was talking about Isaiah 6 on Thursday night, living on the other side of the coal. If you weren't here Thursday, I want you to get that message because it's an important message for us. But can you imagine what Isaiah went through there in Isaiah 6? He said, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. The setting is in the temple. He was in the temple and he was worshiping the Lord. And all of a sudden, the human temple disappeared. And suddenly, the temple in heaven appeared. He looked up and saw God seated on the throne. And the train of his robe filled the whole temple. And then he said he saw these beings that he called seraphs. The word seraph means burning. These are angels that are composed solely of fire. Can you imagine beings that are fire? They are fire. These These are fire angels. Okay? Now, he said there was, a, there was an altar that was full of burning hot coals, okay? And then above the throne of God, there are these angels, and each of them has six wings. With two, they cover their faces. Meaning, they're not allowed to look upon that which Isaiah is looking upon. The Lord. With two, they cover their feet. And with two, they flew. And they're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And what is Isaiah crying out? Woe is me. Woe to me. I'm ruined. I'm completely ruined. Actually, the Hebrew term is much stronger than that. I've even heard it translated as the F word. It says, I'm completely effed. I'm screwed. I mean, I'm totally messed up. I mean, you've got to be in a desperate place to cry... You got. I want. I, I said that because I want you to understand the severity of his statement of what he felt in the presence of God. I'm completely, utterly, and totally ruined. And he said, "Why? Because I'm a man of unclean lips." Now hold on a second. If you read the first five chapters of Isaiah, dude, you did not want him as a guest speaker in your church because he pro- he pronounces six woes in the first five chapters against other people. Not himself. He didn't have any, he didn't have nothing bad to say about himself. He talked bad about everybody. Woe to you, because y'all are doing this. And woe to you, God's gonna kill you. Woe, all of y'all are going to hell. And then he gets to chapter six and he sees the Lord and he says, Woe is me. I'm the one that's messed up. Matter of fact, I'm the most messed up. For my eyes have seen the Lord. Now, watch this. At that moment, one of these seraphs, these these fire angels, uncovers his face a little bit. Not to look at the Lord, but to look at Isaiah. Who is this? Talking about woe is me. 
Somebody needs to help that brother. He said, I know what he needs. He needs some fire. The fire angel comes down to the altar. Have you ever held a burning coal in your hand? Probably not a good experience, right? Probably not a very good day. Do you think if you were composed of fire, you might be able to hold a burning coal in your hand? Maybe, right? I mean, you are fire. Those coals were so hot that the fire angel wouldn't touch it. Said he picked up the tongs. And grabbed a live coal. It was so hot that the fireman wouldn't touch it. This being is comprised solely of fire. And he picks up a coal that's too hot for him to handle. And he comes at and he, he picks it up and comes right at Isaiah. Now, how do you feel if you're Isaiah at that moment? That's about the moment I come out of the vision. Lord, it's been nice, but I got a meeting. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> yep, I've been here about an hour. That's, that's my hour. Sweet hour of prayer. <laughs> Sweet hour of prayer. Going back to the world, ain't no burning coals in there. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm coming out of the vision. You know, the closest thing I could relate it to is when I got LASIK surgery last July. Now, how many of you here ever had LASIK surgery? A couple of you here, okay. Uh, most of you remember, I used to wear glasses. You know, somebody here paid for my LASIK surgery. You know why? Because I was leading worship and preaching and my glass, I was sweating like a, like a hog and my glasses were slipping all over my face. And I'm doing this and trying to wipe down and, you know, and he said, Pastor, I got to help you out. <laughs> do you know what they do to you when you get LASIK surgery? They lay you down on a table. They drop these numbing drops in your eye. Then they put a clamp to hold your eye open. Stick it inside the eye and just clamp. And then they're turning it to open it wider and wider and wider. Right? And he says, don't worry. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> then he takes a scalpel and he cuts the top layer of your, eye, of your eyeball and peels it back. Everything's cool. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. Don't worry. All right. Now you're going to see a bright light. That bright light is the laser. And the laser beam burns the top of your eyeball. Bzzz. Now, don't worry. The smell you're smelling is just burning eyeball. It's okay. Everything's cool. And that's how he's talking. He's like, yeah, good, real good. Everything looks good. It's good. It's good. It's like, bzzz. No, he's burning your eyeball and you can smell it burning. Now, now, uh, uh, when I could see the scalpel coming because he clamped my eye open. He says, no, everything's going to go black for a minute. Don't worry, you're not blind. It's just it's part of the procedure. And everything goes black. And you think, oh, Lord, he done messed up. <laughs> I know he burned too much. <laughs> Ooh, a little to the left. <laughs> my, my bad. <laughs> okay. Now, don't worry. I, I hope your vision comes back. Uh, if it doesn't, uh, my bad. <laughs> but you know what? Describing it to you is actually worse than the experience. Because when I went through it, it actually wasn't a big deal. The anticipation of it was harder than the experience of it. Isaiah sees this burning coal coming to him. And what he thinks, and and it's coming right at his mouth. Now, my mama used to do this thing where she'd wash your mouth out with soap if you said a bad word. Isaiah is thinking, God's going to burn my lips off because of the stuff I've said. Remember what he said, I'm a man of unclean lips? Thinking... God is going to burn my mouth off my face 
This is judgment coming. That's what he thought. When he saw that hot coal, he's, he had just got done saying, woe is me for I'm ruined. And then he sees a hot coal coming at him yeah. with no explanation. God never said, now this is grace, not judgment. He must have thought, I'm being judged. God's burning me up. There's a little bit of hell coming at me. Just a, the fire of hell. Just a little bit of it. And the angel shoves it in his mouth. And it didn't burn his mouth off. And then he takes it and throws it back on the altar. And the angel says, because this has touched your lips, your sin is purged. So often you think God's going to burn up your mouth or burn up your lips or burn away something that you hold dear. What he's really coming to do is burn away your sin. The fire of God, it was so intense that even the angel couldn't touch it. But when it touched Isaiah, it didn't harm him. All it did was burn away that which was destroying him. Do you know what the fire of God comes to do? It comes to burn away the stuff that you can't get rid of by your own power. It comes to burn away stuff that you've been trying to get rid of, that you've been trying to work through, that you've been trying to break off. But the problem is we keep coming out of the vision just before the fire touches us. So next time you go back into the vision, you're still saying, woe is me. Some of you have been living a woe is me life. You've got a woe is me spirituality every day. Woe is me. Woe is me. God, why am I so messed up? And why do I keep falling into the same trap? And why do I keep doing the same things? And God says, stay in the vision long enough for the fire to touch you. Moses said, there's only one problem, and it's not your sin. It's that you're afraid of the fire. The problem is not your inability to do the right thing or even to know the right thing. It's not your propensity for making mistakes. It's it's not your tendencies. It's not your sin. It's just that you're too afraid to come into the fire and let me burn it away. I don't care what you've done or what you're struggling with. If you would just deal with your fear of the fire. Moses said, I had to be a mediator for you for one reason and one reason alone. You were afraid of the fire. John the Baptist said, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Jesus said, you're going to receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? Do you hear what the word of God is saying to us? The power comes to the people when the people receive the the fire. And it, and there, let me tell you why you're living a powerless Christian life. It's not because God hasn't called you or because He hasn't anointed you or because you're not as gifted as anyone else. It's not because you're shallow or you're weak. God has stuff waiting for you that goes beyond your wildest dreams. All He's asking is that you deal with your fear of the fire. If you would simply come to the place where you say, God, I'm not going to be afraid of the fire anymore. I'm going to stay in the vision and let that angel bring that burning coal and touch my lips with it. I don't care what you take away. I'm going to trust you to burn away what needs to be burned away and to preserve what needs to be preserved. We're afraid of the fire because we're afraid it means the loss of self-control talk to most people who are afraid to come to Jesus Christ. People who know the gospel and know the truth of it. And this is the thing that always blows me away. I know people who know the gospel and actually believe it's true, but still refuse to come to Jesus. You say, well, why? And they say, they always say, the thing, well, one day I will. One day I will. It's a trip. You know it today, but you refuse to respond today. It's one thing if you didn't believe it. It's one thing if you just didn't think it was true. It's one thing if you just rejected it. But to actually believe it and to say, but I'm still not ready. I know it's true. I know Jesus died for my sins. I know I'm a sinner and standing under God's judgment. I know that if I just believe in him and confess him as my Lord and Savior and come to him, he'll take away my sin and make me a child of God and cleanse me. of. I know all this to be true, but I'm not ready yet. Why? 
because I'm not yet ready to lose control of my life. Do you know that that is the greatest deception that is known to man? We had a guy in the early days of Living Hope. We started January 4th, 2004. January 4th, 2004. In the first few months, we were meeting at the Courtyard Marriott over here in Emeryville. And we had a guy come to one of our services just drunk out of his mind. I mean, completely drunk. He, uh, you know, walking all funny and talking all funny. And he was, he was preaching. He was talking back to me through my whole sermon. My whole sermon. That's right, Pastor. Preach that, Pastor. That's right. Amen. Amen, Pastor. Through my whole sermon, he was doing that. Now, we hadn't trained the ushers yet. <laughs> we were only like two months old, you know. Amen, Pastor. Amen. Pray for me too, Pastor. That's right, Pastor. He even came to the altar. And then I saw him outside after the service. I walked outside around the corner to see him sitting with two little junior high kids. And he was cussing. Some kill those mother and blanking blank. And he was, he was cussing. I said, come here, come here. I brought him over. I sat him down and he was all, oh. I put my hand on his shoulder. I said, be sober in the name of Jesus. And suddenly calm came over him. Came to his right mind. And I looked at him and I said, don't you think it's time for you to surrender your life to Jesus Christ? He said, I can't do that yet, pastor. I said, why not? He said, because I'm afraid of losing control of my life. I said, what control are you talking about? You lost that a long time ago. You know what? You don't get control of your life till you come to Jesus. When you come to Jesus, he comes to indwell your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit hands you a piece of fruit. He says, what is this? He says, well, you, you've heard of the fruit of the Spirit. I got lots of fruit for you. But I want you to eat this one today. So what's it called? This one's called self-control. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, meaning you don't, even, you don't even have the power to control yourself until the Holy Spirit gives it to you. Matter of fact, you don't even know yourself till you come to Jesus. You can't control yourself if you don't even know what you're controlling. You don't know the self that you are. You don't know who you are until you come to Jesus and he gives you the power of self-control. You don't lose control when you come to Jesus. You find control. You gain control of your life. You're afraid the fire is going to take away your control. If you're afraid of losing control, it means you ain't got none. <laughs> afraid of the fire. Afraid of the fire. You need the fire. The fire is good for you. You know, I talked about my LASIK surgery. I wouldn't trade it for the world. The anticipation of what I was going to go through when I got it was much worse than the experience. It was much worse. It actually didn't harm me. The only thing it burned away was my blurry vision. Now I see clearly. When I came out of that surgery, I remember the, when, I, when I laid down, he said, look at that clock and tell me what time it is. And I said, that clock is a blur. And it was about from here to this wall. I said, that clock is a blur. He said, you can't read that clock right there. I said, I can't. I, I didn't even know it was a clock. He said, lay down. And he said, Lord, this boy needs it. He didn't say that, but that's probably what he was thinking. Three minutes later, my surgery was done. He said, sit up. What time does that clock say? I said, it's 1047 a.m. I could see it clearly. The next day I saw life in living color. It was never so sharp. It was never so sharp. And all he did 
was burn away a little piece of my eye. Just burned it away. I was walking around going, life is beautiful. It's so sharp. No glasses can get your vision that sharp. No contact lenses. Life is beautiful on the other side of the fire. Yeah, tweet that. I don't care who you are today, how young or how old. God wants to take you through the fire. He's inviting you to come up to the mountain. He wants to speak to you face to face. He is going to have his desire. He's going to have a people that he speaks to face to face. He is grieved when only one man among the many hears from him. It grieves him. It grieves him. It grieves him if there's even one of his children that he can't talk to. It grieves him. Every time you come into the house of God, you have a choice. You can either do as the people of God did in the wilderness at Mount Sinai and say, Moses, you hear from God and tell us what he said. A lot of people are still living that that Sinai spirituality. I come to church to hear what Moses has to say when he comes down from the mountain. You know what this service is designed to do? To jumpstart your ability to hear from God. So that you go home and hear from Him all week long. So that you come back into the house of God testifying about what God did and said to you all week long. So that everybody you talk to through the week, if they, if they stop for five minutes, they get a word from God. If they give you their attention for 30 seconds, they get a testimony. Why? Because your ear is so attentive to what God has to say and what He's doing in your life. That's what God wants to do. But there's only one question. Are you going to cling to your fear of the fire? Are you going to surrender to the fire today? God wants to give power to the people, not just the person. Bow our heads. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus that you would strip from us the fear of the fire. That you'd even give us a desire for the fire. Lord, Moses saw the fire and he wanted to go up the mountain. The people saw the fire and they wanted to get away from the mountain. Moses pleaded with the people on that day. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The Lord wants to talk to you face to face. Don't be afraid. He's not here to kill you. He's not here to punish you. He's not here to destroy you. Why is it that every time God starts moving, the people, we tend to be afraid that he's come to punish us or to pay us back for the wrong we've done. He hasn't come to destroy you. He's come to renew you. He hasn't come to punish you. He's come to purge you. He hasn't come to enslave you. He's come to free you. He hasn't come to take away your power. He's come to give you power. He hasn't come to take away your control. He's come to give you real control. He's come to put you in command. He's come to restore you to your God-given place of authority. 
But you've got to get rid of that fear of the fire. What, it is, what is it today that you're afraid that God's going to take from you? What are you afraid of losing? Just give it to Him right now. Put it on the altar and let the fire of the altar burn it up today. What is it that you're afraid is going to be taken from you? You can't live with fear of losing. That's a poverty mindset. Even if God does take something from me, it's for my good. He said, I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser and every branch in me that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it can bear more fruit. If God takes something from me, he's pruning me so that I can bear more fruit. He wants me to have more, not less. But I got to surrender to the fire. Come on, surrender to the fire right now. Make a decision in your heart. I'm surrendering to your fire. I'm surrendering to your fire. Maybe it's feelings of rejection that you've been holding on to. You're afraid if you come to Jesus, He'll make you forgive. And He'll take that rejection and that, that bitterness away. Surrender it to the fire. Surrender it to the fire of God. Come on, make a decision right now. Even begin to talk to God. I want you to begin to talk to God right now. Lord, I surrender to your fire. I surrender to your fire. How close you are to God, it only depends on one thing. Are you afraid of the fire or not? Are you afraid of the fire? Are you afraid of the fire that comes if you get into your prayer closet? God was sure that when he began to speak to the people, they would rush the mountain. But instead, they ran away from the mountain. Don't run. Don't run from the voice of the Lord. Don't run from the power of God. Don't run from the presence of God. Don't run from the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Let the anointing of the Holy Spirit come and set you ablaze. Let your heart cry out for the fire of God. Lord, in my heart, build your fire. In my heart, build your fire. Let your fire burn on the inside of my heart. Let cloven tongues of fire come and rest over each head. Come on. Come on, open your mouth. Just begin to talk to the Lord right now. Ask Him for the fire.